Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. And I'm Matt Leader. Today on the show, we are talking about Top Gun, the 1986 film starring none other than Tom Cruise. Craig, what are some of your overall thoughts about Top Gun? Uh, I really like this movie. I'm so excited to be doing this movie. And, uh, you know, it's it feels, I, I've, I watch it, I probably once a year, I think this is the one that's kind of in my rotation. Um, you know, I'm a kid of the 80s. And so I was, I think, 10 when this movie came out. I remember the first time I saw it was on VHS, though I didn't see it in the theater. So I'm curious about your experience uh, with that. So I'm going to ask you that in a minute, how, what your first time you ever saw it was. But I remember it being a really big deal when it came out. And uh, watching it now, it very much, it feels very much like of its time. It feels like an 80s movie, but in the best possible way. Like, it doesn't really feel dated. Like, oh my gosh, that's cheesy and I can't believe that I'm watching this. But it also, it's like an extended music video in a lot of ways. And they don't really make films like this anymore. And I think that's part of its charm for me. Uh, That along with the fact that it's, you know, it's real airplanes. It's like a real aircraft carrier this is, it's not CGI. So it's visceral in a way that you just, you can't get now. And so I'm hopeful. And what I, from what I'm hearing about the new movie, Top Gun Maverick, that it's going to feel like that same kind of uh, 80s vibe. So I'm excited about that. So what about you, Matt? And when did you first see this movie? Man, I, I saw it a long time ago. Um, God, mid nineties, maybe. <laughs> and I think it's been that long since I last saw it. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I have seen it several times and, uh, but like the most recent was probably a decade or more ago. So, it, you know, it's been a very long time. And so like, I remember some of the scenes and stuff, it did not age as well for me, I, I think as it, as it did for you. And and maybe that's because of your rewatching it, like somewhat regularly, you know, mm-hmm. um, now I think there are parts that are are still very thrilling. There's parts that I just didn't really like. Um, and like we can get right into that. Yeah. I, I think I think it's kind of unique with what you were saying about it not being CGI. Like there's no you know fake stunts. You know, they're they're not little uh, model ships that they're wiggling around on a screen, right? Uh, It's real footage of of jets, and and you can tell. I I think that's both a positive and a negative. Uh, And, you know, if if you're ready, I think we can kind of jump, like, right into it. I mean, I do do think it was a bit of a a phenomenon. I mean, it's a very popular film. And I think part of that is, excuse me, I think part of that's from, Tom Cruise, which we'll, you know, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but uh, the cinematography I I felt was both a strength and a weakness because one of the things that's really important when you're talking about films that have these like ships is like spatial awareness of like where everything is. And I think the real footage does not lend itself to great spatial awareness. There were times when I'm watching this where like i'm excited but i don't know what's going on and i don't know where everyone is exactly and like they they do try you know with like the character saying like oh he's on my tail 
but at the same time that it's not as is thrilling is kind of i i don't know it, it didn't quite work as well for me the whole time um and there's there's scenes where it's like you have some beautiful shots you know from um the side of the airplane where it's clear they had like other planes up there with them which are pretty cool uh i i think that the aerial footage is beautiful and i think it's it's stunning in a way that you don't get a lot of like you don't see a lot of that in other films. You don't see that footage of of jets like that up close, far away, doing the kind of maneuvers that they're doing. And so that that is kind of you know fun and, and special to see. For me, one of the high water marks of like that kind of aerial dogfighting is actually the movie Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan film. Um, mm-hmm. Roughly one third of that is is from the the aerial perspective of war and i i think that nolan did a phenomenal job and i know he used a lot of practical you know planes and effects in that film too and that's where it's like to me top Gun doesn't quite hit that mark in terms of the pure cinematography of like both being beautiful and practical from the sense of like the audience and and so that's that's one of my maybe two gripes with the film is a lot of times they're just kind of like you kind of lose yourself in the, in the blue open skies, you know, what are, what are your thoughts, Craig? Yeah, no, that's fair. And and I'm looking at, at my notes and as I'm listening to you talk, I'm, I'm thinking of how we approach this movie in very different ways that I think you looked at it for some of these, like the logic and the technical aspects of like, how does it, does it make sense for me to build like, like I said, be able to track, you know, geography of, of the different planes and, and I think for me, really what it was, was just how it felt. It's much more an emotional, visceral thing for me. And that that worked for me because I felt like um, that it was very immersive by being inside the cockpit a lot, which, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm teaching Star Wars to my students this week and watching the trench run, like that's where they got that from. You know, it's heavily, it feels like Star Wars is a heavy influence on that. But it's the same way where even if I don't know necessarily where the planes are, I know who the characters are very well. I can tell, um, you know, the pilot and his reel behind him. I know who that, who that pair is. And as they're talking to the other ones, I get a feel of who all of these characters are. So on an emotional level, that works. And you know, we talked about having like the camera pods on the outside of the airplane to kind of get you in the middle of it. You don't necessarily know what's going on or where everybody is. But it feels like you're part of it, and it's a it was very revolutionary at the time to be able to have that. I'm up there with them, you know, in a way that you couldn't get. And we know that there, obviously there's other airplanes up there. It's like a Learjet taking footage as well. But to actually strap a camera on the airplane on the fighter jet, you know, I think was was a great move. And then again, going back to Star Wars, like when I see Rogue One, and they, you know, Battle of Scarif, I'm like, hey, that's like in Top Gun, and you know, it was a way we hadn't seen it in Star Wars. So it's kind of funny how things go you know, full circle that way. Um, but I think, you know, along with, along with that, there's some of the other things that I was impressed with was kind of the, um, the gold in the early morning, but like the silhouettes where again, I can't really tell what's happening, but I get this feel of it. And so I think for me, and part of it's my nostalgia glasses too, um, that it just, it feels cool and it feels immersive. Yeah, and a lot of color on those sunsets too. I mean, that's that's and you know, like the 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 shots are beautiful. 
that there is definitely, you know, for the actual like color grading and like color, it's all very natural. It's all very real life. You know, it doesn't, it, it's not really trying to add a lot uh, to the story through color, through camera work in the sense of like, you might see from someone um, like a kind of more of an auteur, you know, a director or cinematographer, which is fine for the story that they're telling. I What you said kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Avatar, the James Cameron Avatar, how people were blown away by that film in theaters, the mm-hmm. 3D. Yeah. And it was kind of a technical marvel, and much in, in the same way that uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars was when it came out and was first released in theaters. People had never seen anything like quite like that before. And it captured people's imaginations in a way. And I think that might be a little bit of our divide on the film is, you know, you have some of that wonder still left over from when you uh, first saw it, right? And it was a bit of a bit more of a unique thing where, you know, I've had these experiences in these films and it, it wasn't as mind blowing for me when mm-hmm. I saw it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 1986. So it's middle of the cold war, right? It's against the Russians. You know, I'm a 10 year old kid watching this and I wouldn't pay attention to what was going on in the world. So this was, you know, this was real in, in a lot of sense, you know, and this is notoriously one of the, the big recruiting tools for the Navy. Like it wasn't intentionally like the Navy didn't put this out, but the Navy reaped the benefits of so many people watching this movie and going, I want to do that. Didn't, didn't the Navy help with it? I could be wrong. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, they did help. But it, it wasn't like a Navy their... commercial. I mean, it, it was, right. but it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, they lent, their, their, they lent them their planes and, and right. things like that and gave them full access to locations and things like that. But And, and we uh, have that for other other films like Transformers. Is sure. Kind of Pretty much anything stuff. Michael Bay does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of... Um, you know, the Top Gun classrooms and, and having Miramar as, as part of the actual location. The f- like, it's weird that there's no lights and no um, air conditioning in those buildings, apparently. Because <laughs> everybody's really sweaty. Very sweaty. <laughs> Very sweaty. But there is just like, they don't ever turn any lights on, which I thought was an interesting choice. And I think I'd always kind of noticed it, but this time watching it deliberately, I'm like, wow, they're really just, they got the blinds cracked and there's, you know, everybody's kind of half in shadow and it's always sunset. It's like it's always golden hour mm-hmm. um, while they're having class, uh, which is a kind of a cool effect. Um, but it's not like I'm assuming these guys probably work more hours than that. <laughs> just going in there from like just four forty five to five motor, motor, motorcycles around, you know, in the morning, and then they yeah. get to class in the That's golden it. hour. But it's beautiful, you know. And again, it kind of just goes back to that. It looks cool. Looks good. I like the feel of it. Sure. Um, more than that. Um, some great first person stuff, yeah. I thought too. Just, you know, that always is interesting to me watching um, at the beginning when they're, or Cougars trying to land the plane on the aircraft carrier. And it has I that real swingy, to, like, oh, yeah. Back it, and forth camera, like first person. Yep. Which is, you know, they have that kind of juxtaposed with extreme close up on his eyes as he's freaking out. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then he tosses his wings, and that's an extreme close up too. So just some kind of fun, dynamic interesting you know mix of choices uh, of shots there so some fun stuff there yeah and in a pretty gripping like opening you know little prologue to the film too yep and like i said it's been been a while since i last saw it and man i was kind of locked in with that prologue and 
kind of it kind of shows you what the the ultimate like hurdle is going to be later on in the movie, which is that overcoming mm-hmm. those the yips, you know, overcoming the the fear and the whatever it might be that's bothering the pilot. Like that's ultimately what uh, what Maverick has to overcome. Yeah, I never quite thought of it exactly that way, but that you're absolutely right. It's kind of a circular plot in that way, where you do come right back to that same place with a lot of the same people, and and yeah, that, that he has the same kind of issue that Cougar had. So that's that's a good call. Yeah, foreshadow. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, moving on to sound. If uh, we, yeah. we talked about the beginning, I mean, it, it starts right off with that, you know, that great theme song. And then Danger Zone kicks in, and yep. and that movie does not. It's not a slow burn at all. This movie is like boom. You're in a you know rock video, like I said earlier. Yeah, almost immediately, planes are taking off, and let's go. What did you think about the sound for Top Gun? Um, you know, Danger Zone's amazing. It's the perfect song to go with the film. Uh, there's there's a couple songs that are kind of you know playing throughout the the um or are important you know throughout the whole film it, it doesn't get better than danger zone and like how you're talking about how the film feels when danger zone was playing and i want to say they played it like three times in the movie maybe more right yeah yeah, it, yeah it's, it's a lot yeah it, it is a lot <laughs> <laughs> um that's when i most felt like the adrenaline like the rush that I think you were kind of tapping into. And so that was, those were kind of my favorite parts is when that music was playing, you saw the awesome jets just flying around. I mean, I want to say one of the times was at the beginning when Tom Cruise is on his motorcycle and he's like racing along with the fighter jet taken off. Yep. And like, that's, that's such a cool little moment, you know, both visually and with the music that it kind of gives you this is what the movie's about. <laughs> and and if if you're into that, you're going to like the movie, right? Um, I thought the rest of the music was like the non-diegetic uh, music, which I'm, I'm sure you'll bring up uh, and talk about a little bit more, uh, was fine. Uh, but really, it's all about Kenny Loggins and the Danger Zone. I mean, that's what people remember, right? Mm, yeah. So uh, just real quick, a couple of things on, on the danger zone is one, I, I'm just remembering now that I actually saw Kenny Loggins live at uh, great America in, in Northern California. I think it was 88. So a couple of years after this came out and it's near an airport. So I remember vividly hearing danger zone while airplanes were taking off <laughs> and that just adding to the whole vibe of it. Now, quick um, question. I, yeah. I, yeah. I'm sure you don't know. Do you think like yeah. real life pilots play danger zone like all the time? I, I would. <laughs> like you're on your like, little like puddle jumper, like Alaska Airlines, 100 seriously. person <laughs> going down to Portland. That's like danger yeah. zone. If I was a boxer, I'd be listening to I Eye of the Tiger too. I mean, come on. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, so yeah, so danger zone is, is fantastic. And you're right. It's at least three times. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, if it's not the, if there's more than three, then then forgive me. But at least on the third one, one of the ones is, um, right before Goose dies, mm-hmm. it's in that sequence when they take off. And this time I noticed it because I was kind of keeping track of how often I was hearing it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is the part where Goose dies. And what made me 
so impressed by that was using it here. It's we've heard the song a couple of times and I feel invincible when I hear that song, right? Mm-hmm. I'm getting fired up. I feel great about things. And then this tragedy comes out of nowhere because like, they're not playing fair. You just heard, I just heard dangers on that. Nothing bad can happen now. And then the unthinkable happens. And they just like pull the, you know, the rug out from under us. Yeah. it's a great catch. I did not think about that. So that is, yeah. the, that is the invincible song for them. Like, yeah. But, uh, other good songs in this one too. I mean, obviously the, the Berlin song, take, take my breath away was, was huge. Won an Academy award and a golden globe. That's been, you know, if there's, there's really, there's two big songs from this one. Right. Um, but I also think that the score is pretty good. I really like the top gun theme that we hear at the beginning. And we also hear, uh, at the end it's, uh, it's Harold Faltermeyer who also did, um, he did some stuff. He did like Beverly Hills Cop and the Fletch movies. And when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, that's that same kind of kind of heavy synth. It's definitely mid eighties mm-hmm. type of thing. Like he's the one who wrote Axel F, you know, the Beverly Hills Cop theme, which is incredible. Like talking about earworms, like that one just gets stuck in your head. I'm like, yeah, that's the same guy. That makes sense. And of course he worked with uh, Brockheimer on Beverly Hills Cop and then um, on Top Gun as well. But I think that song's great and kind of underrated because of how awesome Danger Zone is. I do think the um, the sound effects too uh, were pretty good. The 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 jets, every I I don't know. Maybe you know this. Did they record some of the live sounds when they were using the jets? I you know I should have, but I do I don't know because especially it, like it it sounds like pretty realistic. Yeah, it feels real. Yeah, and that that missile lock sound mm-hmm. stresses me out every time. Yep. The constant beeping and then the 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 one tone where it's like they got locked. Yeah, yeah, I'm sucked in again. Um, just real quick though, you did mention you know obviously there's there's diegetic music in this in this movie too. Some of it performed by Tom Cruise and he's awful at it, <laughs> which is funny that they call that out. You know, she's like, I don't yeah, have to worry about you. Keep your day job. Um, yeah, keep your day job. So we have that, and of course. Um, or he's singing, uh, you've lost that love and feeling. And of course, great balls of fire, which I think was probably the first time I ever heard great balls of fire was in this movie. I think it was for really a lot young. of people. <laughs> <laughs> They're bringing it back, baby. So yeah, good mix. It good mix of stuff. Lots of pop songs. The soundtrack for this was very successful, like nine times platinum. Mm-hmm. So, and again, this is early, uh, you know, it's, it's mid eighties. So it's the early days of, home video so this is we're still like this is how i experienced this movie is i'm gonna buy the tape probably the cassette tape not even the cd at that point so i'll probably also lend to it but it was also just a great mix of current artists uh and some some good instrumental stuff on there anything else uh on sound that you want to talk about before move to performance no but i do want to talk about tom cruise yes so what are your thoughts on our leading man? I don't think he's ever been more confident than in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Supremely confident in all situations. Like people call him out on stuff. He's like, yep. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Yes, it is. I did it anyway. Uh, so like he uh, frequently succeeds, even though he screws around and does things he's not supposed to do. Yeah. It's it's kind of an interesting like wouldn't that just 
continued <laughs> to inspire to keep doing those things if you kept getting away with it? I, that's definitely what the movie <laughs> shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I completely agree with Tom Cruise being, uh, you know, more confident than he's ever been. He has this kind of thousand yard crazy eyes stare where he has this intensity about that's that's for me it wasn't confidence it was just intensity mm-hmm. and like it, it it works it fits with the film but it's like i he's not a good person <laughs> I, I shouldn't say he's like a bad person but i do think like Iceman was right when he's like you're more mm-hmm. dangerous than the enemy right now because yep. you aren't like under control. You can't control yourself. Yeah. And dangerous we, and foolish. Right. And we see that several times throughout the film. So it's like, it's one of those cases where the main hero is not really like really that heroic, you know? And like looking back on it after Goose dies, um, I'm forgetting the the captain's name. Um, we talking about Viper. Yes, Viper. Yeah, and he's just like, Goose is dead. Get over it. And it's like, yeah, that's mean. <laughs> you gotta let him go. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna and, happen. And it's like, what, like the day after, and they let him then go on the mission like to to end the movie. Right, the end mission. And yeah. it's like yeah. that's not safe. That's not good like and Iceman even like he's like it's nothing personal but is really is Maverick really the person for the job right now it's like no he's not he can't he can't fly not even in like simulation like the training so it's like a total failure in like real life you know a real real life situation and it's like it has to happen that way because of the movie but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know I totally do. I totally do because I, I'm thinking now of how when I'm younger, I'm watching this, watching this movie, and I'm all about Tom Cruise, and I'm on his side, and you know, the, the, who's the bad? The bad ice is the bad guy, yep. right? If there's a bad guy, it's it's Val Kilmer's character, mm-hmm. and then watching it now, I'm like, no, he's he's not a bad. No, <laughs> he plays by the rules. He does everything he's supposed to do. He follows and he's orders. Still the best, and he's still the best because of those things. Yeah. Like he. <laughs> He gets what's coming to him, like cause and effect, right? Mm-hmm. And so the same, so does Maverick. He, you know, he does one too many things that he's not supposed to do. Yeah. So kind of an inter- deeply flawed protagonist in this film. Mm-hmm. Who, right? who gets rewarded for like what he does. Like when you think about it, like even Goose's death, it wasn't his fault. Like he didn't actually do anything wrong that time. No, that was Iceman. Well, yeah, and arguably, yeah, kind of. arguably, like yeah. that wasn't even wrong per se. No, it was. It was just an, it's an accident, right? Yeah. But but that's kind of what I mean. It's like the one time that like he gets consequences. Uh, Tom Cruise, that is. It's like he's playing by the book. He's not making the foolhardy mistake. Every time he makes the foolhardy decision, it pays off for him. You know what I mean? He gets I the do. girl. He, you know, shoots down all the planes at the end. He doesn't, I guess he gets, doesn't get the trophy, right? But that's probably more to do from Goose's yeah. accident than anything else. So yeah, it's he, like, he didn't get to finish the program, so. Right. And th- th- like, that's just how it went. But it's just like, no, no, Tom Cruise is not 
not the good guy. <laughs> and and it's not to say he's bad. It's just he's flawed. Like, but yeah. he's not the person you should be like admiring. And I think, like you said, growing up, he was definitely the person that you're looking up to. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, it's it's even thinking about he when when he gets to go to Top Gun, he mm-hmm. was number two, and then the other guy bails out, and so he gets it by default. Yeah, and it's kind of played for a joke, and they kind of play it off, and like, well, those guys are jerks for calling him out for that, but they're also right. Yeah, you know, which leads me to again one of my one of my favorite all time lines is, and really not just from this movie, but movies in general is, "Your ego's right in checks, your body can't cash." Yep, he, he's right. Hmm. He's routinely doing things that he should not be. You know, eventually it's the odds are going to catch up with him, and, and they don't. You know, <laughs> Which is the just, ironic thing. Yeah. Crazy. Um. But yeah. The kind of like the the quintessential Tom Cruise '80s performance. Like he's he had a whole bunch of movies after like Days of Thunder is very much this movie, but as a race car and some other things. It's like this is the one that kind of put him on the map as that type of supremely arrogant character. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's 24. He's super young, too, which adds to that, I think, which makes sense, too. Like, you know, when you're a kid like that, you think you know everything. Clearly, you don't. Right. But uh, it's all about that feeling, though. It fits. Feels the need for speed, man. Yeah. Um, I think, like, other than that, like, the the whole love story <laughs> feels pretty, like cheap (laughs) like it doesn't quite feel earned like it's fine like yeah it's definitely not like the worst in the world or anything but i didn't think it was i i remember like oh man you know it's got this you know cool love love story and it's like no it's not she just it's just like they have to you know a talk and listen to some music they go to school together and then she's like i've fallen for you and it's like okay (laughs) <laughs> what? Well, he even has that look too—that look of shock. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's just like, talk about that. Not even he buys it. Like, yeah, he's a what? Like, you wanted to talk about the MIG? That's why you had me over the first time, right? It wasn't even about me. Yeah, uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so there's, you know, it's an '80s movie, but yeah, yeah, you're right. And she's significantly older than him too. She's like five to six years older than him. She's higher up on the chain of command than him. And, mm-hmm. It's there's a lot of reasons why that should not work, but you yeah. gotta have a love story in this movie, apparently. So, <laughs> do you think which it, is fine? We get to get. Do you think really get that Berlin it? music video? No, I I'd say I, you know rewatching. It's like I don't think it really needed that. No, because he doesn't really change because of it. You know, I don't think he really changes at all. No, like what's the significance of having her in the film exactly? I, I think it's Doesn't, kind of a stereotypical getting the girl kind of thing. You know. Yeah. And, and like, it's not the worst. It's just not yeah. the best either. Yeah. Which reminds me of our conversation about Ghostbusters and you talked yep. about how you didn't like Vankman, yep. right? So is it, does it kind of fit that same thing for you where it, he doesn't really deserve that? Absolutely. And it's yeah. the same kind of thing where it's like he, in a lot of ways, is played as the hero of the film. And it's like, he's, I think Vankman is on a couple levels kind of disgusting. Like, he's not the worst person in the world. But he's sure. he's not, in my opinion, like a good person. I think Tom yeah. the Tom Cruise, you know, Maverick character is a decent person. He's just very arrogant and cocky, you know. 
it's not that like he doesn't do anything that's particularly like bad or disgusting. I, I think you could make the argument that he like puts other people in danger. That that's bad, right? But I think, yes. But I think like the the way the movie portrays it is that it's not like he's taking like huge risk. He buzzes the air tower, you know, and right. and he doesn't like follow his wingman into combat. Where it's like, okay, it's still training though, right? So it's like that is where you get those kinds of things out and it's where you iron those kinds of things out. So it's like, it doesn't feel quite as bad to me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've seen some speculation already. And so this isn't my theory, but I do subscribe to it that, you know, Kelly McGillis, uh, who plays Charlie, the love interest in this film, she's not in the sequel. She's mm-hmm. not in Top Gun Maverick. She's not really acting anymore either. Um, but there's been some speculation that part of that's going to be that like that didn't work out because he was the guy he was and didn't change. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the ways like we talked about how, you know, Ghostbusters 2 is like with Bankman, yeah, actually work out, you know, it was just a temporary thing. So right. it'll be interesting to see how that if that's paid off mm-hmm. in that way, because I think those are those are valid concerns. Like as a 24 year old, very immature, cocky guy, like that's not a long term partner right. in, a, in a romantic relationship. Not unless he changes, which he doesn't in the yeah. film. Right. So, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, like overall, I think the performances uh, were were pretty spot on. I think the intensity that Cruz brings is kind of it's kind of a weird energy, but it works for that kind of stereotypical jock fighter pilot. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where where that would not fly in other roles, but it it works for this one. Yeah, those guys have to be incredibly, they got to be arrogant. They have to be right. supremely confident because of what they're doing. Right. Like they're risking their lives every time they step into that airplane. And, and Iceman, uh, Val Kilmer, has that same intensity. We, yep. We're just not following him, you know, uh, for the film. So it's like we don't get him as much. Yeah. I mean, he, that's a character I wouldn't mind have seen an entire movie about. Like, yeah. He's, I think he's a really great character. And and one of his, uh, Val Kilmer's great in this. I think he's a, yeah. a very underrated actor, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but like I said earlier, like I didn't like him, but I don't know if you're not supposed to because he's not the protagonist, but he's not a bad guy. Right. Um, Anthony Edwards is also great mm-hmm. and hilarious and kind of nice you, know, you feel it. Yeah, you feel it when he dies. Every time I watch this, I, I know he's going to, but it's still every time like, man, every time <laughs> I hate that. I did want to mention too, just I mentioned earlier how much sweat there is. Everybody's sweaty on an aircraft carrier too. Yeah. Like there's no air conditioning in any Navy facilities at all, which is interesting. Um, but everybody's wearing the aviator glasses. Yeah. The costuming in this is very distinctive. Um, those leather jackets, like, you know, we talked about like on the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. It's like that's kind of this iconic image of that. The big spiky hair. That's some of these <laughs> things are very 80s, early uh, 90s. Things. Yeah. Yeah, early '90s stuff too. I like the Top Gun hats. That always kind of cracked me up. I suppose like, especially when Viber puts it on. Yeah. Like I'm going outside, I'm putting on my Top Gun. Hat. Top Gun. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna advertise the school I work at. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I did notice this time that I guess I, I kind of always seen but didn't really put a connection to was um, the Russians' helmets. Um, they're basically opaque, so we can't really see their faces. Just like which is in direct. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's that same thing, right? Yeah. Because we see the pilots. We mentioned earlier how we get to know the pilots, um, the U.S. pilots. Mm-hmm. 
but we don't get to know these, these guys don't have names. Nope. They're anonymous. Yep. Way easier to kill. We don't have any sympathy for these guys at all. Like you said, that's perfect, man. They are they're stormtroopers. Yep. Faceless baddies. Yep. And so and do they mention that they're Russians? Ex- oh yeah. Explicitly. I I think I missed that. Um because they saw like, I'm fairly certain they do. And then there's the red star on the I saw the red star. Too. And that yeah. reminds me of North Korea. But I think mid eighties was before kind of North Korea was a big thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think they're pretty definitively Russian. Russians and USSR Russians. Yeah. Because right? this is Yeah. Specifically Soviet, like Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fairly certain the word Soviet probably shows up in there at some point, but yeah, but I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm glad that you picked that up because exactly that's I was like, well, they're definitely the bad guys. Mm-hmm. There's no sympathy there. There's no backstory there. They're just you know faceless bad dudes. Kill them. <laughs> just straw men. Yep, there to be knocked down. So, a- any final thoughts as we're kind of like, because I, fe- I feel like th- those were like the two big things for me is yeah. like the, the camera work, you know the the feeling was definitely there i got yeah. a little lost in the details the music i think works um and then the characters i think largely work but yeah any any kind of other thoughts that you have so i did want to talk briefly about locations mm-hmm. um mainly because i lived in san diego for five years and when i was down there i was like i went by miramar on the freeway one day I'm like oh my gosh that's this That's is where Top Gun used. It's not there anymore. Yeah. But even more than that, there's there's a house. The house that stands in for Charlie's house, the exterior of that, yeah. is in Oceanside, which I used to live in Oceanside. And it's not, it's it's marked up in the sense that people have put posters in the windows that so you can tell that it's the Top Gun house. That's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's it's totally worn down and it's just just kind of there. So most people that go by don't have any idea that. It's a filming location, and you can go right there and say, "There it is. <laughs> this is where it was." And I thought that was cool. I've been by there a couple of times. I'm like, "This is that from that scene in Top Gun." Yeah, a couple of times he drives by there, and, and watching it this time, I'm like, "I know that place. It's right by the ocean. I've been there." <laughs> and uh, this summer, I definitely want to go check out the the Kansas City barbecue place, which they go and this couple, the, one of the last scenes is there when she comes back and finds him after he's about to quit and that's the great balls of fire scene is in there too. So yeah, both of the, you know, there's, there's tons of places around San Diego that this is where they filmed it. It's yeah. not on a set. It's like legitimately, you know, somewhere air stations. And yeah. Places you can go. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Your uh, comment about the locations actually remind me um, about the, the props in terms of like the helmets, which I thought mm-hmm. was very clever to have the names and very distinctive decorating on the helmets. Yes. Because when their masks are up, you can't see who's who. So really the only thing you're relying on are those helmets to differentiate. Like, and you can hear it in oh. their voice a little bit, but it's like right. from a visual perspective, those are among the most important kinds of props that you have. And like, I can remember because those are what we identify as like the characters, like who they are. Yeah. Well, and if you know, speaking of props, too, I just want to point out Goose's dog tags is, is yeah. a big thing too, where he you know symbolically lets him go, and also it's such a weird throw when he throws it <laughs> into the ocean. Though it's such an awkward throw. Like, has he ever thrown a baseball? I don't, I don't know. It just looks so weird. Uh, but that was another good use of light motif um, earlier too. I, I, I meant to mention too that there's there's a song called Memories, um, which is the song that's playing when he's looking at 
the picture of his dad first. And then later on after goose dies, they keep playing it. Mm-hmm. Like the whole scene where they're coming, the helicopter comes and pulls the body out of the yeah. ocean and stuff. That slow instrumental. It's the same, but you heard it first when, when uh, Maverick was looking at the picture of his dad. So kind of a cool use of well, moments of know, loss for him. Yeah. Kind of, again, kind of on an underrated score. I think, you know, he doesn't have a ton of, of stuff to do in this film because right. of all the pop music. Yeah. Um, but what there's a lot of it too. It's <laughs> a ton of pop music. Gloria Stefan has a song. Um, but I think with the time that he gets, Harold Faltermeyer does a really, really good job. I also wanted to, so getting down to final thoughts though, um, much better cred, uh, end credit sequence than Dune, although it reminded me of <laughs> Dune, where they play the music at the end and you get to see all the actors with the names. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun. And Dune, it was really cheesy, but here it, it kind of works. I'm like, yeah, we're taking a victory lap with the Righteous Brothers playing. Oh my gosh, I just remembered there was something else I wanted to mention. So in the scene where this is just kind of random, but we talked about the hero's journey a little bit and how does he change? And the only thing I can really think of is that he kind of makes peace with his family legacy, right? About his dad. Yeah. Um, when he hears the truth from Viper. But with something I caught this time, and again, I've seen this movie many, many times, is he's talking to Charlie and um, he's talking about his mom. So he's listening to the music playing and he mentions how his mom wanted him to, you know, come, come upstairs or play the music or what have you. And she's, he says um, that she died shortly after him. And there's like a pause. And I was like, did his mom commit suicide? Was she depressed after this and then take her own life? Yeah. They don't really talk about it after that, but I felt like that was kind of a legitimate way to read that. Yeah, I think. Did you catch that at all? I did not catch it, but now that you've mentioned it, it feels like a like a legit reading. Like I think you could definitely take that away from it. Yeah, I mean, she's up in her room and just calling down to him to play the music, and she's definitely isolated. And mm-hmm. We don't see her. We don't hear anything more about her. Right. So, so it's hard to it's tell. Like, but he's kind of an orphan. Yeah. You know. I mean, he even says that. Where I think he says to Goose, "Like you're my only family." Yeah. So in a you know in a movie that's not made in the eighties that's supposed to be an action movie that might, might be a thing you actually explore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if there was versions of the script where that was. Well, and maybe that'll make it a, an appearance in the sequel. Yeah, you know maybe that's that's an area where the the writers explore that a little bit more. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, but I'm excited for the sequel. I, I was also I did a little research on that too and, and found that. Um, uh, Jennifer Connelly, who plays the love interest in that, she's actually playing Penny Benjamin, who is mentioned like one time in this movie when they're talking about all he did the flybys and like one time over Admiral's daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's not a new character. So that's kind of fun that we're yeah. tying things back in. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited about about the new movie. That's, I think, my my biggest yeah. final thought. It's just I'm hearing great things. The re- reviews are. Like it is feels like an eighties movie, which to me that's like I'm there. That's, what you that's all you had to say. Yeah. Um, but I'm hearing that it's really, really good. I think the the last thing that I kind of have with this is just how kind of it felt very silly right at the end when uh Tom Cruise gets back and they have that moment, just like in Star Wars, where it's like they land their plane, they get out, and everyone's like cheering them and and then um like a couple moments, a couple scenes after that. Uh, I think it's Viper talking to him. He's like, so what do you want to do? You're famous. 
He's like, oh, I want to be a Top Gun instructor. And it's just like, so you have one combat mission and then you retire? Like, that's it? <laughs> it's, it's well, like, they let him do whatever he wants. It's, it's a, God help us. It's a lot of money the, the Navy spent on training him for him to just... <laughs> and uh, it's like, do you do we really think Maverick would make a good teacher? I don't know. I don't I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Maybe no, that's that then maybe that's the that the point of the sequel, right? Is they explore that angle. Yeah. Well, I was thinking you said all the money they spent training him. I'm like, all the money they spent training all the other pilots that he's gonna mess that up. Sure. Yeah. Hey, all that stuff you learned, we're doing it different. Right. <laughs> That'll be fun to see how that plays out. Because we do kind of feel like uh we're gonna get that in, in this next film. At least possibly, bit. yeah. Yeah. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. One last thing, our next episode will be a review of Jurassic Park, the original. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Jurassic Park, and we'll share them in the next episode.